women need to address the patterns and the wiring that, that has made us not be able to come together with other women. We need to connect with other women. We need to join forces. We need to build partnerships, collaborations. We need to build new structures and systems. And those systems need to be big and powerful enough to take on what we've currently got. It's like, my God, what could we do together if we actually applied ourselves and, and came together and it was not just four days and then we go away for the rest of the year? What if we can like build on these networks and relationships? That is really powerful. Hi everyone, welcome to Psychedelic Conversations. Today I have Rachel Lolan in the house. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, it's so good to be here. It's such a pleasure having you, Rachel, and, and this is a conversation I've been waiting for, so I really appreciate you creating time for us. Oh, you're welcome. I am really, really looking forward to this. You are one of my absolute favorite people to talk to in this space. Likewise. Likewise. So I'm really looking forward to what we can bring to the conversation because you're also the kind of person that I like to sit down and talk about all the all the concepts and the topics and the conversations that most people try and avoid. I see that in you. You don't really avoid. You actually thrive in those spaces. So um, just to give a context to our listeners, we met not long ago uh, in London and you have a business partner. Uh, Nasreen and we had her on the podcast as well she is the founder of the uh, well-being by the lakes festival which I was so honored to come and share a panel with you and Nas that was really fascinating it was amazing it's beautiful I want to say a few things about the the festival actually maybe we can do like a little uh, summary and then but before that I want to give a bit more context to our listeners about who you are so I will just introduce some of few lines from your bio, but we will add it to the show notes as usual. So our listeners, you could find more information and links for Rachel in the show notes if you want to connect and look into her work deeper. So Rachel is, um, she's an integration coach, co-founder of Women Are the Medicine. Uh, a transformational coach certified by the Psychedelic Coaching Institute and the Moment Institute, whose practice is built around coaching people at thresholds in life when it can feel like identity is disintegrating and people find themselves in flux and uncertainty. And you are the co-founder of the Women Are the Medicine, which we can dive into um, the topic of why is it important to have containers for specifically uh, for women that's something I'm interested in as well mm. that being said before we really dive in um, what brings you to medicine Rachel thanks for the intro um, what brings me to medicine um, I 
think probably like the vast majority of people in the space through my own journey. So I was, I, I managed to get to my probably late 30s thinking that everything was kind of okay with me. I did not have um I did not have a lot of awareness. I was very cognitive. I was very analytical. I was so obsessed by being good, you know, succeeding. Um, I was, you know, I was good at school. I did well in my exams. I got into Cambridge. I studied. I, you know, I, it was just constantly one thing after another. What's, what's the next kind of shiny prize? What's the next job promotion? It was absolutely exhausting. Um, and what I started noticing was that, um, whenever, whenever things got stressful, the same kind of patterns would emerge. I would become so reactive. Um, I could have sort of epic meltdowns. Um, and it, it was just so at odds with the way that I, I kind of wanted to perceive myself. So I started exploring that. I had had years of talk therapy. I was doing all the things. Um, it wasn't really getting me anywhere. I was numbing a lot. I was drinking too much alcohol. Um, it was impacting everything. Everything felt sort of out of balance. Um, and this it coincided with a time of my life when I was, um, I worked a lot in um digital at one point and we were always talking to companies about digital transformation and innovation um and all of these change projects um were really difficult challenging and quite often failed and what was really interesting was that it was not the technology usually it was the people people don't like changing and I got more and more interested in this conflict that we have when whether at work or in our personal life where we say we really really want change and yet we fight it um so I became more and more interested in psychology coaching I took some uh, courses I started working in that area more and then I had this total, I mean, it just blew me away. I was on a tra training course. Um, it was around somatics and trauma, being trauma-informed. And we had a guest lecturer who was uh, Bessel van der Kolk, um, author of The Body Keeps the Score, of course. Um, and somebody asked him, um, in this in this lecture, well, what's the best way of treating trauma? And I'd read his book, um, and I'd, I'd actually sort of tried a few. I was trying more somatic based therapies at that point, but he just he did not bat an eyelid. Quick as a flash, he said, "Oh, that's really easy, MDMA." And I was sitting there just going, "What did he just say that? Like he's he's a doctor." He's a doctor. He's a, a, you know, and all my, all my previous experiences of that was party drug. 
Um, so anyway, that was very, very interesting to me. And it kicked off um, my exploration, which has taken me, I've worked with MDMA, I've worked with LSD, I've worked with psilocybin, um, and a little bit with a boga. Those have been my partnerships. Um, and in the course of that, I have experienced profound, deep changes. I'm really, really passionate about bringing this work more into the light, more into the mainstream. There's so much stigma attached to it. Um, there's also, I, I also, I'm really motivated by people not having to go through some of the experiences that I went through. Um, because when I started working with this, with these substances, it was, it was all a bit sort of DIY. And I, it was very hard to find the kind of support that I think is absolutely vital. Um, so, sorry, that's quite a long story, but it, it very much, you know, and without being evangelical about it, right? That's the other thing I want to say. I think a lot of people are like, oh, wow, I, I, I did this work and everything's great. I, I, I'm not one of those person, people. I don't, um, I'm not saying this is for everyone. I'm not saying that it's fun. It's not. It's really challenging. It can be really dark. Um, you've got to be, got to be up for it. Um, but for people, for some people, it's the most profoundly transformational work that you can do. That's so wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I was just trying to look on my phone for the link for Dr. Basil van der Kolk. Um, just wanted to kind of go back on that a little bit. Um, mm. He's been the longest around, one of the longest around uh, trauma traumatologists that's been around. Um, he is kind of not as popular as Dr. Gabor Mate because Dr. Gabor Mate has been very, very uh, out there, you know, publicly speaking about trauma. I think I feel like Dr. Gabor Mate um, single-handedly brought the term trauma to the mainstream because a lot of people, um, they don't really know much about Dr. Basil Wannekog, which is also the person that I've been uh, influenced by and um, read the body keeps a score very early early in my uh, somatic therapy journey um, and also attended his lectures interestingly there was a lecture in the UK um, and also a workshop with both of them uh, Dr. Gabor Mate was sold out really quickly but his one always had a lot of spaces still to join and I thought that is fascinating that is fascinating because they they have a very different approach. For me, Dr. Gabor Mater is more bringing the compassion, and I feel like he's not really rattling the cage that much with his um, approach and his stance and the way he talks about everything. I know he brings a deep clarity in some of our early traumas affecting us in the current moment type of teachings, but something very unique about Dr. Basil Wanderkog, which makes him my favorite he's very direct 
right? He's direct. He doesn't entertain much of the fluff, and he goes straight to the to the direct. And and what I loved about him when he said, because the book was written time when he wasn't in into uh, psychedelics, right? It, he was. He was more into MDMR and other different modalities, like uh, physical, you know, with working with the body. You know, one of the concepts that he's, I heard him speak to is you don't need to talk about and dig out your deepest old memories, um, suppressed memories about your trauma. You can literally work them through your body, the pathways of your body through somatic therapy. That was fascinating. Then years later, I saw him leading uh, MAPS, you know, phase two trials on MDMA. And that's, I think, when his entire perspective changed on uh, bringing psychedelics in trauma work. And he has this very powerful video on YouTube, I think, Ways to Heal Trauma, where he goes through each modality and then he talks about psychedelics in the end highly recommend it for our listeners as well we might we might be able to add it to the show notes so thank you for bringing that up and rachel this whole thing about doctors and you know in the west how we kind of perceive psychedelic uh use um it's it's, it's this taboo and the heavy stigma around it and there's still a lot of education to be um you know out there and you know people need to really be informed around this psychedelic use in in not just trauma which i know that you also not um you don't want to really make this a medicalized or clinical thing where it's just for mental health and it's just for or either the opposite would be doing shadow work like the the new age spirituality and new age approach and it's almost like so uh, limited and, uh, you know, kind of talked about as a as a very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? More like a very, it, it's again another human construct, right? It's either medical, clinical, through the mental health, which I understand. I mean, sometimes we need to go through that path to help it usher it into the legal system, hopefully bring it to the mainstream and bring it to, you know th- those people who need it because this is what we need in this moment we want to learn more about it so medical and clinical space looks like the most safest at the moment and then we have the opposite which is the you know the spiritual new age approach where you can just you know take as many psychedelic medicines as you want and and just do your shadow work integrate your shadow which i don't think as i heard you from as well i don't think a lot of people don't understand what that means, really. No, no, right? I don't think they do. And I, yeah. I mean, I'm just listening to you talk and thinking. Um, I mean, it just feels like we're babies with this work. We're so, we're so undeveloped in the way that we think about it, and we're so either or. You know, either it's got to be in this kind of stripped back, clinical, sterile environment, or it's going to be, you know, in the heart of the rainforest with, um, you know, in a when you uproot yourself completely from everything that you know and plonk yourself down in a totally different culture with different people who have such a different worldview to yours that it's very hard to make sense of 
how they are relating to and holding to the space and, and, and relating to your experience. And like, I mean, this is just crazy to me. Um, uh, it's making me think of, I, I mean, this is one of the things that I appreciate about Bethel van der Kolk. Um, and to be honest, Gabor Mate also, I think they are both in, they have very different personalities and, and Gabor Mate, despite, um, you know, his sort of pained, traumatized expression, he's very charismatic. Van der Kolk is very Dutch, right? But I think as, as a, as a reformed cognitive type, um, Who's neurodivergent? And I and I do appreciate analytical precision. And he's very clear and he's very confident and he knows what he's talking about. But both of them have spent so much time working with people who have trauma, who are experiencing really severe symptoms. And I think one of the things that I appreciate about them is that they're not scared of that. I think we're so scared of trauma of challenging experiences of I, I attended a talk earlier this week by um I think it was put together by the marvelous Jules Evans who do you know his work um I love him who talked he talks a lot about how none of us have any ecstatic literacy we have to develop our ecstatic literacy but he's he's doing a project at the minute about challenging psychedelic experiences, and there was lots of there were lots of um, very interesting researchers presenting their work and talking about, you know, we need to appreciate that whilst ninety two percent of people might have a positive experience, that still means that eight people are having very very dark and challenging experiences. And I sit and I, and I don't want to, I'm, I'm, and I'm not beating the drum for like, you know, that, that, that kind of bullshit of, you know, you, you might not get what you want, but you, you're always going to get what you need type view of psychedelic journeys. But, um, I just, I really question anybody, particularly clinicians who think that you can approach this work and it not be challenging how is that how is that possible how could we strip away the yeah. challenging nature of it when we are dealing with trauma we're dealing with deep-rooted ingrained patterns of pain and shame and grief that we're in a society where we're not in community with other people and we can't address that. And then, you know, we've 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 got all these people who want to sort of treat these substances as a as a magic pill that's gonna make all of that just disappear and you'll be happy and functional. And that's what I mean about it feels like we're babies. I mean that's just a that is a childlike wish in my opinion yeah i agree with you one last thing i would like to say about dr gabor mate and wonderful isn't it interesting how they are here in our conversation both of them how this conversation 
and is unfolding and both of them here with us in spirit. So one last thing I wanted to add is um, I think our listeners who are aware of Dr. Gabor Mate's work, they will know because he speaks about this in some of his videos. He said, he said it was Dr. Basil Vandercock that made him wake up initially to like where it was a very significant moment for him when they were both speakers at some event. And of course, after the events, they eat together and they share, you know, food together. And in one of those circles um, at this dinner table, Basil Vandercock looked at Gabor Mate and said, Gabor, stop dragging Auschwitz with you everywhere. Mm. And that moment really was like a massive aha moment for Gabor Mate, where he recognized he was carrying through his physiology, his biology. You know, I also have this other amazing mentor, online mentor, um, Caroline Mace. She's very, another, she's probably the, the female version of uh, Basil van der Kolk. She says, um, your biography becomes your biology. So all this yes. tr trauma that we carry on, the sadness, the grief, unprocessed grief and the attachment injuries and all of that literally shapes our body, how we hold our body, posture, eye gaze, tone of voice, all of this. And um, Gabor Mata was like, of course I am dragging this everywhere with me. Look at the way I sound. He's very melancholic in his tone his body language and his, even his facial structure is very much um, carrying his trauma on his, on his, on, on his face. So uh, that was my favorite moment that he shared with, um, which comes back to, like you said, um, Basil being very direct. And I really love that. I love also how he can um, um, be abrasive. I think we've missed this in our culture this whole love and light, be gentle, be extremely compassionate, extend your love, accept as 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 um, people as they are. I think it's causing more detriment and it's it's stopping people in their evolutionary tracks because we have, I guess, because we don't have a discernment of, maybe we lost the discernment of when do we, be you know, can we be direct? Can we guide people in that more direct directness? Because if I look at my own journey, never ever a time when I received a lot of soft love and light and compassionate at that level anyway, didn't really help me much. And when I look back, every stages of my breakthroughs or my uh, uh, momentum that I had with my own journey it was always through a mentor a guide who were willing to be really direct with me dare I say a little bit harsh and abrasive actually mm -hmm. so I completely so, agree yeah I think you have to I mean this is this is the um this is the thing isn't it you we are blind to our blind spots this is one of the things that really frustrates me about talk therapy particularly the way that talk therapy is practiced a lot of the time in the UK. I think maybe the the Americans are, are, are stealing a march on us about being a little bit more direct now. Um, 
But this was certainly my experience of talk therapy. I went round in circles for years and years and years with no intervention. Um, and it was actually only when therapists intervened, um, probably because they were sick of hearing what I was going on about for the thousandth time, um, that it actually kind of came through. But I think this is a really, really big, it's it, it it's such a big problem. It's something that we see all the time, right? That we are terrified of what we label as negative emotions. Absolutely terrified we will do anything to avoid them. Um, stuff them, eat them, deny them, project them out onto others. And we can't, it's just, it's, again, it's a, it's a childlike, a childlike position to think that you can cut away this experience that is, after all, laid down in your body, in your physiology, in your shape as you're, you know, you're carrying this in your nervous structure, in your endocrine structure. And that can't be, it can't be cut out. It can't all be sweetness in life. Um, I think it's really interesting as well when you think about this huge, um, you know, wave of mindfulness and meditation that's going on. And, and what that's done for us, I think, is at, at least it's allowed us to see that we should detach and observe our thoughts, right? That we don't have to identify with our thoughts. But I'm sort of like, why does nobody talk about emotions in this way? You know, emotions, we are so identified with our emotions, but we so don't want to be identified with negative ones, so we will push them away. We are not taught to allow negative emotions, go towards them, ask what message they might have for us, treat them with curiosity, any of that. And that is one of the things that I do also appreciate about Bessel van der Kolk. He's not, he is not scared to go there. And let's face it, we all need to go there. Even, even the people who don't want to go there, we all need to go there. I love this, um, Rachel. Uh, the, uh, also for your earlier comment about why do clinicians and these professionals believe or think that they can just bring in uh, microdosing or the psychedelic work uh, into the space and expect them to just do the positive thing. I think it ties in really well with what you just said about Dr. Bezo van der Kolk, not being afraid. I guess that what makes him a bit more um, braver and more uh, convicted in what he says, because he, you know, there, there is a there is a saying that um, unless you go down to the deep into your own depth I mean you wouldn't you know uh, for me unshakableness you know this unshakable centeredness and being able to um, discern and move forward in life um, or another way of saying it is to revive your inner compass only comes from entering into the deep waters it doesn't come from love and light feels like this is the algorithm of life can we cruise around doing just the positive and love and light throughout our lives without ever needing to step into any 
thing other than just positive, uplifting, and light. So this is the challenging question. I know this is very subjective maybe and out there already discussed. Um, for example, you mentioned Jules Evans. I'm trying to get him on the podcast as well. I know he's really busy. Um, he mm -hmm. has he put together a group of uh, lecture, well, kind of a talk in London where people were talking about their breaking open experiences, whether with psychedelic medicines or not, just as human, it's more like an existential process, breaking open. Yeah. And I wanted to just come back again to everything we have, you know, you and I talk about always circles back to that breaking open. It's very existential, very existential. And um, in our last connection, I know we talked about the concept of a bone woman, which is mm -hmm. a very archetypal um archetypal you know um concept that um there are women in our lives actually they're all over the world they practice um what they call um endarkment which is the opposite of enlightenment um so when i heard the concept of endarkment it's almost like something inside of me programmed to know what this is like I it resonates so deeply that I had my hair standing on my arms like it was really resonating and that just that just brings me back to say like somehow doesn't matter how much we want to you know make it all clean and desensitized and clinical and medicalized and doesn't matter how much we want to do these things or make it a uh, a positive journey or seek for the positive there is something inside all of us that we programmed or there is a it's been put there i don't know how we just know it that it's there that always going to open up or open us up to something so much more deeper i feel like psychedelic medicines do that anyway uh, sometimes it happens spontaneously right so which jules evans talk about a lot the spontaneous breaking open. What is that about, for example? What are your thoughts on that? Where to start? There's a lot there. I mean, I think ultimately, if if we were more connected to nature, we would know this because what we're talking about is is fundamentally death and rebirth rituals that are as old as humankind older and it's the way of the world you know you can't you can't have new life without things dying things die they rot they decay they compost they go back into the earth and they're broken down so that new life and new energy can come forward that's what we think the ancient Greeks were doing right with the Ellicinian mysteries. It was a death rebirth ritual. And you know, this is this is this is our Western culture. This is not going to the rainforest. This is like Plato and Socrates went to those mysteries. They thought that they gave life meaning. We have totally lost that connection. We don't understand it anymore. There's a there's a quote I really love. Um, it's from um, Michaela and Philip Tarlow. I actually have it on my um, 
my my military works website which is my like private coaching one and they say so those people who don't regularly shed their psychological skin in order to become new again become old before their time and death rebirth rituals allow us to re-emerge into the present so that we can perceive without the veil of personal history and that veil stops us from seeing it it basically fucks with our whole perspective our whole worldview and we have to go through that our it's normal right Jung talks about this there are two halves of life the first half of life you're doing basically what I did what I was describing earlier it's like going to school and winning the prizes and getting into university getting the job getting the car getting the all of it and then most of us have that experience of like oh my god is this all like is this is this it uh is this is this really my life is this my story um and there's always a turning inwards it's archetypal as you say this is this is there is something deep within our collective psyches that causes us at some point in our life to go towards reintegrating the bits of ourselves, the parts that we've cast out, the wounded, the exiled. And, you know, I, and I, there's that view of things. And then, you know, I read about companies like, um, oh, who was that? There's a company called Gilgamesh in the States. You know them that they're trying to that you know there's lots of these startups they're trying to come up with novel psychedelic compounds that don't have any hallucinogenic effects that don't include they don't give you a mystical experience they don't have any challenge and also you can fit them into a lunch lunch hour because apparently six hours or longer if six hours for psilocybin it's too long for, for us to fit into our packed lives. Isn't that crazy? You're dealing with a lifetime of ingrained patterns, potential trauma, all of that, and, and yet we can only we can only spare an hour at lunchtime to get rid of all of that. That is a crazy worldview. Um, so I mean I would say that. That, going back to your question, that the breaking open, the spontaneous breaking open, I, I wonder whether that's, is that not something that we're kind of programmed in a way to do archetypally? At some point, we need to come apart. There needs to be an ending before there can be a beginning. And as a society, we hate endings. We just want to skip to the beginning. What's the happy new story? But you've got to go through the ending. You've got to descend. Mm. Yeah. What I was thinking right now is, I'm guessing we're using, we tiptoeing around our language. You know, we use words like spontaneous. Is it really spontaneous? Is it really? Is it the time? Is it divine timing for the each person? 
because if we look at our you know surrounding and being in the space you know I always I always wonder like why some people really enter into these deeper inquiries and then some don't like you also uh, encounter people living through life just being as they are in that in that space of just navigating through life uh, until the end of their life and that's okay right you know we're not here to usher everyone into this deep waters i i understand that like it 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 needs to be also open if people resonate and they want to come in but there is like there's a nudging feeling i know both of us have that it it cannot be just that superficial and on the surface there is more to the existence there is more to being human there is more to being in the body of a female or a male there is more to just superficial on the surface what we all experiencing and i'm sure we can do a whole nother episode where somebody is fully in that space of just helping people rewire enough to help them navigate the, the mundane life and be okay in it and that's absolutely fine you know some people might want to at the moment like it, it speaks to the consumerism mind right there is a consumerism mind in the western people like ketamine is really popular because it's short acting mm -hmm. <clears throat> soon it will be something else and, and and so on and so forth and then the novel drugs like you said it's coming up because i guess people maybe also because we have engineered such a life environment that it doesn't accommodate people taking time out to go into these deep waters right it doesn't allow people they have a lunch break only and a few hours at the weekend or something maybe like fundamentally there needs to be something else playing you know i don't know what you think of that i mean i think i think this is this is really it's really heavy right this is um it's kind of making me think of um you know you've recommended that I watched that documentary in utero, um, which I did a few days ago. And that is such a powerful representation of what modern society has done to us, this consumerist, um, materialist, positivist view of things. There, there's... Um, When you think about what you're describing about, you know, some people are sort of seeking something that they're looking for more meaning, they're looking to go deeper, to discover what lies beyond, whether there is meaning in some way or purpose, whether there's something bigger. And, and then you have people who don't have that desire at all. And I think that that documentary does a really good job of showing just how shut off and shut down we are as a society. There's, you know, the, it, the, there are those parts in where they show people queuing up at, outside Apple stores, you know, to get the iPads uh, or, or whatever the new gadget is, or, or, you know, people running into Walmart and punching each other to get to the led screens and that is what a lot of people are seeking 
they're seeking an iPad. They think it's going to make them happy. And that's that's just very, it's profoundly sad that this is this is where we are. But this is where we are. And society as we know it makes it really easy to stay in that state. We've got our, our dopamine from our social feeds, constant content, uh, new gadgets, new things to buy, new experiences even. Um, it's very easy to, to, to stay in that. Absolutely. Absolutely, Rachel. Do you know what you would also love? There is another documentarist. Um, he created like a 15-minute long in shadow. Maybe you have seen it. Because, yeah. So um, in some of the, like the, the people that I follow and speak to and engage in their content with are very much like people not so scared of entering into deep depths of this existential inquiries. And sometimes they use little clips, like tiny 10 seconds of his um, documentary. Uh, and so this in shadow is a depiction of someone who is really woken up to this toxic consumerism mindset that has been engineered in, in people from the industrialization revolution. And there is no words. The music is a it's a very sort of evocative music that is probably very unique and created specifically for this documentary. And there are no words, and it's cartoonish. Um, it's cartoonish, uh, and um, it's a it's a fifteen minute journey of absolute terror, realization, and waking up to what's been engineered and. Also, like I follow some of the conversations from Daniel Schmachtenberger, and there is this lady that's been coming up a lot. I don't know if you come across, you probably will. If you go into, you know, what I love about YouTube is that YouTube, I know we sometimes talk negatively about social media, but if we can learn how to use the algorithm and and use these, you know, technologies in our own advantage. For example, when I watch something very deep on YouTube, you know, next going to be um, suggested very similar content. So then there is this whole chain of very deep subjects that uh, come up. You know, sometimes like I discover these lectures and videos on absolutely deep subjects. Like yesterday, I I know I'm jumping a lot, but I'm going to hopefully bring everything together in a moment. Bear with me, <laughs> Rachel. Um, uh, so I also listened to um, the couple from Live by Young. They're not very popular. Their channel is. What I really love also is that those kind of videos don't really have much views. It's almost like top secrets hidden in the algorithmic, you know, uh, chain. And only if you search for one of those kind of videos, then it's almost like you're opening a Pandora's box into more deeper discussions on YouTube. Honestly, YouTube is like our unconscious. You find what you're looking for. 
or you, or, or you once you take that first step, the, the rest will come up. It's like you can uncover a lot. Anyway, coming back to the Live by Young, um, it was only a 50-minute video on their they do they they kind of present a lot of allegory and myth and storytelling and um archetypal storytelling. These this couple, for me, they are treasure in anyone trying to understand the um archetypal deep um how it's all been engineered from beginning of life, the gender politics, Adam and Eve, and the female and the male coming in being and what kind of consciousness each represents. So they were, this video is quite a new one and I had to stop on about 15 minutes and I had to stop because it was so deep that I had to stop because uh, this is what I do. I kind of stop, pause, integrate, think about it, have my thoughts run wild, come to my own conclusion and then go back. And then stop again and go back. Honestly, I'm sure a lot of our listeners who do this kind of deep work, you probably do as well. Sometimes I find the one piece of video like in shadow and that 15 minute video then represents a PhD level psychosocial understanding or something like that. Like you don't need to go and do a PhD. Honestly, you could do your PhD on that 15 minute of of journey that you will take with this documentarist again and you know so on and so forth so there's so many things out there that people can I love and right? I just say I love that I I um I know we were talking about this before I I also I absolutely am obsessed by young archetypes use a lot of archetypes in my work in Naz and I's work um one of my favorite podcasts is this Jungian life um which is similar to what you're talking about but those um those conversations that they have I often listen to them five or six times um and every time I listen to them something new gets revealed and I love that you're saying this because we have a sort of consumer approach to content quite often how much content can I consume how many books have you read how many you know it's it's acquisitive but there's no depth there's no depth and and there's no meeting of your mind with the mind of the creator of this content and so there's no you know out of those two minds comes or can come something greater um very early on in my career i i thought i wanted to be an academic um i studied english literature and i was writing a phd which i never finished but it was about the ethics of authorship and it was about it was trying to understand sort of philosophically ontologically how what one person creates can actually shape what other people think and feel and believe. Um, and that happens at a very deep level. It doesn't happen on the surface of, of when, when writers write about 
this is good and that's bad. You can just go, okay, well, I agree with that or not. But this is this is where archetypes for me also come in because they are these really mysterious and power, powerful forms that that just exert a force on us. We don't have to do anything. They will do their work. You know, there's that amazing quote from Jung about archetypes like a an ancient dried up riverbed. But the the minute that the water starts flowing, soon there's a current, there's a stream. And that's what happens, I think, with us when we evoke an archetype in our life. People are people quite often say to me, when because we use archetype cards and symbols in our programs and our retreats. And I always get pushback of, you know, the, the rush, like, but what, like, is that fortune telling? Is that weird? Is that a cult? It's like, no, they're, they are deep symbols. They're ingrained. We recognize them. They, they work on us. We, we have this amazing relationship with archetypes through the course of our life where we attach our personal interpretation to whatever archetype it may be. And then, and then of course, a lot of, a lot of what we are doing is, is maybe helping people go back to the original archetype and recover the good in it. You know, if, if, if you have a, a mother wound, a father wound in your personal life, but can you tap into the, the, all the, good and shadow aspects of these archetypes i love it's, that it, yeah truly powerful i think i have an idea why that may be so why people push back or i think mainly because um uh i think most of us don't understand archetypal concepts like what how good is that for me like i don't think we we truly understand their role and impact on us and and my understanding came after I was able to peel away the early you know talk about infantile states I mean when people go through um, early trauma I feel like we get stuck in that infantile state Mm -hmm. and then the the rest of the world we engage in is always engaged through that wounded child or the very early adapted you know survival irrational uh so i want to make a distinction in case because currently there are lots of conversations around going back to the childlike spirit in in the healing journeys people are um, talking about restoring recovering our um, childlike spirit from an early, early beginning of life. But um, sadly, um, the distinguish here is that not everybody had a, uh, you know, early, healthy, um, with a healthy attached uh, grown-ups sort of life. Because um, you talked about in utero, a documentary, you know, it, 
if we look at that and examine it, um, life doesn't begin in your childhood with a childlike spirit. Actually, it's very much more earlier than that. It's from the inception. And then we marinate in this utero, in the concoction of what the mother is going through, the stresses, the maybe the financial difficulty or the relationship difficulty that she's having or that um, her own mental health challenges or her own perceived challenges. We imagine that the little fetus is growing in that, marinating in that, in that swimming in that little ocean of, of, of the utero. And so the life begins there. So again, coming back to distinguishing it, I think the child, childlike light spirit comes from the joyful innocence of a child among everything like among the difficulty or the trauma that they are experiencing in their early life still they they have this innocence that carries them forward into adulthood however we forget there is a split that happens in that child that part of them which you said exiling and abandoning parts or the shadow part some people talk about it as they actually become the survival part of our survival mechanism and that's the that's the lens that's the lens we experience life through and coming back to what i said about my work i i carried on experiencing life through that irrational wounded infantile let's call it wounded infantile states um and i couldn't understand any of these concepts the spiritual concepts, like all of these esoteric gurus, and the if you look at the yogic, if you look at the yogic life, and I mean, come on, we have our own Ramdas be here now, right? Mm. But it's all about the present moment. But the thing is, if we are if we are navigating and living from the wounded, irrational, infantile state, that goes out the window. So. Peeling back those early stuff, and then we tune into this ocean of wisdom, the archetypal consciousness. And like you said, once that is revived and sparked, everything then kind of drops. It's like uh, you you fall into this ocean of wisdom. That mm. you think, where have I been all my life? Now I am connecting. Now I'm understanding. Now it makes sense. This whole archetypal thing. I think. Do, I you, do, do you agree yeah. that that we need to take through people a process first? I think before they can accept the and also allow to, to the wisdom to land. I think. Absolutely, and I think. You know, quite often in this space, people people use this lotus flower metaphor. You know that you can't get to the blossom, you can't get to enlightenment. You're not going to be Ramdas. You've got to do your dirt work first. You've got to go into the shadow. You've got to you've got to look it in the face. You've got to embrace it. You've got to allow it. Can't cut it out. You've got to go through it. The I think the um, the alternative really is is kind of SSRIs and, and and what we do. You know, we if we suppress the shadow, we suppress joy, and we just numb out, and we're just on on that kind of 
I don't know, it's just, yeah, everything's kind of okay. It's bland, it's mundane. But there's no real point, I think, then to, to being alive. I really like what you're saying about really just connecting to the ocean. I love the idea of, I quite often talk about what happens when we work with, could be psychedelics, but but working in any way with neuroplasticity and uh, individuation, reintegration, exploring ourselves, our inner space. But it being like a sort of giant, vast ocean. And when we start, this just this sort of tiny little island, which is which is our ego, our sort of persona parts, our masks. And really that's all that's visible, and that can be that that part can have some really problematic sort of tendencies and patterns, right? Um, they're survival patterns, but then they're, they're not necessarily helping us to enjoy and and relish life, all of life, the ups and downs. But this kind of surfacing, it's not it's not a, a linear progression. It's not neat and tidy. It's not step one to step. 25. It's just a surfacing of strange parts and experiences. And there's a, yes, it's at some point there might be a spontaneous opening. There might be a sort of up from the depths, something erupts. This, this new land, things sort of appear. And part of that, uh, what what helps us with that work can be archetypes and really getting to grips with how these archetypes manifest in our life, in our personal history. But also what the potential in the archetype is. I think one of one of one of the ways I think about trauma and, and I mean I know I used to do this. I, I used to I used to have a very fixed story about myself. This is what happened to me. And this is this is why I'm the way I am. It made sense. But part of my exploration of the shadow has also been an, an extra, it, it, it's allowed me to reclaim so much joy and good and love. But all these bits that I'd stripped out of my story because I I I sort of wanted to. I mean, that perhaps weirdly really holds on to the pain and the shadow and the grief. But it's it's all there, the good and the bad. And it's all sort of coming up and being reclaimed and coming into that great vast ocean that is our psyche and collective psyche. Yeah, yeah, I do love that. It's like containing all at once and then moving forward. So what I wanted to ask next is um, you you work with women and you have a business um, called Medicine on the Women. Share with us why is it important to create containers only for women? What 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 is the the value? And what are you guys experiencing, seeing some of that wisdom, I think, would be so helpful 
So part part of this is is very um it, it, it has a real sort of clear everyday purpose in our eyes that the world that we're living in is not doing very well and we have got and I think many of us have experience of working in toxic companies um the way that we work isn't working and I know from my own coaching practice that there are so many women that can't stand that world but they they leave that world and they kind of set up little businesses little one women like I'm, I'm gonna well I'll just I'll just be over here little old me um doing my thing and the system kind of wires us that way right we we, we are um we're taught from the minute that we're born really I think that we should not really rock the boat, not make waves, not be too visible, not say what we think. We should just kind of, you know, attend to what other people want and need from us. And if that becomes too much in a corporate toxic kind of job, then we'll just, we'll exit quietly and we'll just get on with our own little thing. And I don't, I, I seriously, really, really, that cannot happen. Women need to address the patterns and the wiring that, that, that has made us not be able to come together with other women, that, that, that makes us think that we've got to compete with other women. Um, we need to connect with other women. We need to join forces. We need to build partnerships, collaborations. We need to build new structures and systems. And those systems need to be big and powerful enough to take on what we've currently got. We can't do it with a with a bunch of, you know, like, there's all these fantastic women. We saw them at, at, at Wellness by the Lakes at this incredible festival we were part of. It was full of fantastic women who are doing amazing things but I sort of think when you get all of those women together in one place it's like my god what could we do together if we actually applied ourselves and, and came together and it was not just four days and then we go away for the rest of the year what if we can like build on these networks and relationships that is really powerful and of course, all of this starts with, it starts with individual work. It starts with all of the stuff that we've been talking about. But the reason that you do that work is not just so that you can heal. You know, this, this kind of, as an individual, I just want to feel better. I, I really firmly believe that we do this work so that we can reconnect with what we're here to do, which probably sounds totally woo, but we all have really unique individual perspectives and gifts. We've all got something to share. And it it drives me mad when I see women going, oh, you know, oh no, I don't really, 
don't really have that. I don't really don't really have an ambition. I just want to, you know, make other people happy. We we've got this terrible codependent wiring that that makes us into I mean, sometimes people please us. It can be really hard as well. It can be sort of perfectionism and, and control. It manifests in many different ways, but it's it's still not allowing us to be open and authentic and bring what we've got to the world. And so that's the that's the big mission. And I think it's if you are addressing the fundamental wiring of women that's created in our society, it's laid down in the womb because of the way that our mothers experience life and and, and their mothers and that the whole line going before us. It makes sense, I think, to do that in a women-only container where, where you can really go. Because I'm not saying that th there is definitely a place for mixed containers and men only and like you know every kind of container but we're specifically looking at helping women understand where it is that they're mixing up approval and love and and to to help them even though most women are full of love for other people we are so harsh to ourselves um, and it's so hard for us to love ourselves. It makes us feel so guilty and ashamed. We have so much internal resistance to doing that work. Um, and, and, and it's that, it's the cliche really of, you know, you've got to put your own oxygen mask on first that we've all heard so many times, but it, if you can't start out from that place of connection to self, and, and a real sense of your true value, that you are so valuable, that you are needed. So few women really connected to that. So that's that's why we do this work in Women Only Containers. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing and doing this important work, Rachel. I think I don't know many um circles or containers that address women only there are loads i know but i'm probably not aware of it but um it's almost like you know after watching the the documentary in utero we realize um the importance of uh the carrier of life which is the woman and how that you know if if we don't interestingly when i was doing my foundational work with um ayahuasca medicine um the native um facilitator from peru she's also our you know uh one of the popular guests on our channel nature she once said if we can heal the women we can heal the world and i used to think back in the day i used to think oh gosh that's again this coming to wuvu um you know oh why do we have to divide and separate women men you know it's all the same but at the time, I realized I had a lot of um, my own biases. Now I realize from just biological perspective, the life giver, you know, the container, the woman carrying the baby. Imagine like if, if we 
if we don't uh, learn to be attuned and in connection with ourselves, we continue to bring babies into the world that are also disconnected and are also lost and also uh, going to go through the same struggles. I'm not saying that's a reductionist look, maybe outlook on it, but it's just something. It's just important. It's just a foundation. Like you said, let's begin there. Let's begin with the connection to ourselves. Yeah. And not at all to say that men, men truly need healing. They need to do their own work. And that's really, really important. But it's it this this is what we are called to do. Um and this is why actually the 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 sort of retreats we don't do standalone retreats. All of our retreats are in sort of in a nine month program, which is a gestational program. It's like come and be with us in community over this entire period where we will work with you to support you to develop the kind of practices that will allow you to sort of emerge as yourself um yeah i think it's it's really important that it's just not enough there's there's not enough um everybody talks about integration right but who is actually doing it um or if they are doing it, it's like a lot of journaling. It's all very, it's all very left brain. Um, yeah, it's quite tragic actually. The integration has become a whole checklist of to do lists of stuff, um, but it's the holding, creating the environment so that people can start changing their own environment. Right? It's creating the environment. So they can go out there, become stronger enough or, or build enough capacity so that they can change their own environment. For me, that's integration, right? It's not journaling every day about your experience, right? So No. Yeah. But then this is when, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier about um, what really works in therapy and coaching and, and anything is, is usually not sweetness and light, the positivity. But, I mean, there is a sense in which what really is needed is a, a, a container and a holding which does have that sort of unconditional positive regard, that attunement, that, that allowing of whatever comes up. Like, you don't have to be good in this place. You can, you can make a noise. You can scream and shout. You can be angry. You can tear your hair out, you can grieve, you can get it all out with a bunch of women who are all going through that same experience. And that, that is love for me. That, that's community. That's so important. That's how we rewire ourselves in communication with other people and their nervous systems. We, we're, we're, build really powerful connections there but it's not about that kind of codependent oh I'm going to feel your feelings for you I'm going to oh that's awful not not that kind of oh let's let's replace all of that with a positive affirmation I mean yeah. no 
Yeah, um, that's so wonderful. Wow. Thank you so much, Rachel and Naz. We, she's in spirit here with us also. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed the festival. Just want to quickly add that. I think it was wonderful. The setting was almost like um, a, a mini uh, Burning Man, like all these life-size art and pieces and uh, all these amazing things. And then the, the land, the water in there and you know, women coming, talking, doing all kinds of things. It was just so beautiful. It was very welcoming. It's very, um, it felt very um, warm and it, it, it was just a place to, you know, be authentic. I think that's kind of the key here. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I think I will definitely be joining every year. It's just, just take a little break, drive. And, you know, especially for those of you in the UK, it was a whole adventure everything it was a whole package just being there and then driving and back and taking some time out of life to have that reflection engaging in a connection it was just so beautiful so that was wonderful and as we come to our end of end of the conversation I mean I'll I can keep you here for another hour easily but I'm sure we'll have you back Rachel for more in-depth conversations please tell us yeah, I think so. I think we need to do uh, several of these episodes to just go into more detail into the deeper work. What does that look like in action? Mm -hmm. um, but in the meantime, yeah, for now, tell us about your offerings, uh, your projects, uh, what's uh, upcoming projects, offerings. And yeah, where can they find you, our listeners, if they want, if they feel resonated and want to work with you guys? Um, all of those details, if you don't mind. Sure thing. Okay, so our, I guess our signature program is our microdosing program, um, which is uh, an eight-week program. It is really sort of the fact, I think there are a lot of microdosing programs out there, but they're very sort of how to, how to measure things out and when to take them and all of that kind of stuff. Um, We've got a guide. We've got a free guide. If, if people are interested in that, go to our website, which is you know, themedicine.co. Um, but that's not what's interesting about microdosing. So, so what we are doing is we are working with best practices, uh, what we know about neuroplasticity and harnessing the benefits, working with these substances to fundamentally rewire. Um, but it's lovely because we work with this metaphor of the garden and, and you are like the garden and the gardener of your life. Now, always think of, you know, if you if you see images of the nervous system, it is plant like, you know, it's like a tree with roots and branches spreading through your body. So there's a, there's a big element of somatics in there and, and working with neuroplasticity. But that. That archetype. That image is really powerful in terms of like, what is your garden? What's the state of your garden? You know, is it, are you spending all your time in other people's gardens, mowing their lawns for them? What are you doing? Is your garden overgrown? Is it neglected? Is it dried out? Is there something nasty in the woodshed? Like, come back into your garden. And also, are the people like coming and jumping over the fence and stealing all your strawberries? And, you know, you've got no boundaries 
so it, we have a lot of fun on it um but but it's it's seriously based in in um kind of good neuroscientific principles and they're marvelous 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 containers um we have amazing women that 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 come to those we also offer retreats um as i as i've said which are, are wrapped up in a nine month um preparation and integration program which are really you know for people who are called to do the the deeper work those can be really transformative um we're also going to be i think they're coming in november we're starting um we're starting integration circles for women um as well which which means that if if there are women who have um been microdosing or have gone on retreat if if they are wanting to do that integration integration work in community with other women then um they can also come to us to do that we're also writing a book there's loads of things um but we're yeah come and have a look on our website and our instagram and you'll find out lots more amazing thank you so much so the websites are the women are the medicine women are the medicine.co and um our instagram is women underscore r underscore the underscore medicine okay um, and naz and i are also on there as ourselves okay wonderful well we're going to add the links um in the show notes as well they can just tap and Perfect. reach you guys um this is wonderful thank you rachel for really um pioneering this new frontier of what we call you know working with the microdosing in a sense that can really uh won't be an, an another trend like We've gone through, I mean, I did a mini blog a uh, time ago. I felt a little bit guilty doing it because um, I also went through those things of like jumping into the, you know, cold water and fasting. You know, we do all these things and then suddenly each one becomes a big thing and a trend. And if our listeners in the self-development space, they will know exactly what I mean. Then the, the next thing, the fad and the next thing and the next thing. It's almost like never-ending chase to um, find and, like you said, find what is it we're seeking, you know? Is seeking to escape or is it really, is it really like um, my favorite term is like reviving our inner compass so that we can be discerning and can then be um, unshakable and less, you know, open to manipulation and exploitation. Like that's the, that's the work that I see you doing that's what you yeah. do with micro you're allowing people to step into the agency and cut the cord from this over consumerism mindset chasing the next big thing yeah yeah it it is it is the very opposite to i think what it's still a common view of microdosing is that it's going to be some kind of mood boosting magic pill and that mm -hmm. you're going to find the answer outside of yourself which you're not can't google it unfortunately yeah. you've got to go go inside and you know i mean it is there are other tools um but it's a it's a it's a very powerful tool in microdosing in community yeah those two amazing thank you so much again and i cannot wait to have you back very soon
amazing. I look forward to it. Thank you, Susan. The joy. Thank you. It's a pleasure to listen to you and enjoy your wisdom and everything you shared with us. <clears throat> Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Hope you guys enjoyed this session, this conversation with Rachel Lawlan. And stay in tune um, with everything that they are doing and exploring and sharing. Uh, I think it's it's one of those times where we need to connect with each other, collaborate, have each other's back, and really do this together. There's loads of companies and loads of programs and processes out there, but um, we really need to do this together. And there's loads of us in this space doing beautiful work so highly recommend you guys checking it out and i'll see you on the next one stay in tune um and also comment tell us you know your experiences have you tried it yet you know what are your thoughts what are the experiences you can share it in the comments get in touch with myself or rachel share more in detail don't be shy. You can really speak and connect. We're very, very approachable and available and responsive. So, and also thank you for your time in following us and watching and listening and being part of this conversation. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us. Psychedelic Conversations podcast is designed to educate, inform and expand awareness. For more information, please head over to psychedelicconversations.com. You can also share with your friends or leave a review so that we can reach more people. You can also join us in our private Facebook group to keep the conversation going. This show is for information purposes only and it is not intended to provide mental health or medical advice. Thanks for listening.